Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. Today I have Grant Jenneru back on for another interview. Now he's actually the discoverer of the low vitamin A diet and he's written a couple books detailing how our understanding of vitamin A as a vitamin is really flawed, severely flawed. He actually says it's a poison. Now, I interviewed him back in 2019 in August, which is crazy to think about that it's been a year since, you know, we talked. He was, in fact, the first interview I ever had on this podcast. So it's it's really like uh, coming full circle here. He recently put out a blog post, which is a six-year update on his low vitamin A diet. And he has some really amazing results that I wanted to get him back on to talk about and maybe answer some questions on too. Now, there are a few things you should know before the episode starts. We skip over the whole discovery of the theory on vitamin A as a poison. You know, it's an amazing story, but we talked about that in the first interview. And so I just didn't want this to be a repeat of that. So if this is the first time you're hearing Grant, you know, it may be a good idea to go back to episode 26, uh, which is titled Vitamin A is a Poison, I believe, and listen to that interview. You're going to get a lot of background on, you know, why he's doing what he's doing. Now, one other thing I wanted to let you know, while I was doing this interview, I believe my recording software picked up some chat notification sounds in the background. So you may hear some soft chimes here and there, especially later in the show. You know, sorry about that, but it shouldn't be that distracting. Enjoy the interview. Grant, welcome to the show, man. Or I should say welcome back. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me back. I really appreciate it. So you just recently released a six-year update of being on a low vitamin A diet. Uh, and that blog post has garnered you know, quite a bit of attention online with you know, people discussing, debating it, that kind of thing. So I thought it'd be good to you know, bring you back on. It was an opportunity to just see, um, to kind of let you give more details and maybe answer some questions that, uh, that people are asking about. So thanks so much for coming on. Great. Okay. So why don't you've basically been doing low vitamin A for six years now. Uh, for people who don't know, what does that diet entail? Uh, so do you want to talk about kind of why I'm doing that or is it just the details of the diet? You know, we, for people who don't know, I interviewed Grant about a year ago last August. And so we really got the, um, I would say the, the, origin story, you know, we got okay. how you how you came up with it and stuff. And so if people want to go listen to that episode to really get the background, I think that would be good. So I think you can briefly go into, you know, why you kind of started doing this and, and some of the health conditions you were going through, but let's not spend too much time on it. Sure. Okay. So, uh, you know, I started on this as an experiment to, you know, try to uh, improve my health specifically with eczema. Um, it was a long shot experiment. It was kind of a crazy idea. And, uh, so the idea was that the disease that I was facing were, uh, the result of vitamin A toxicity. So at that time I was diagnosed with, um, doctor diagnosed with, um, chronic kidney disease, adult eczema and cataracts. And so, uh, pleasantly surprised to see all those things kind of slowly resolve. And, uh, from there, um, I'm continuing with this diet. So I've kind of made the shift from, you know, the original first two or three years of this diet for me were, um, you know, means of trying to recover my health. But I've since kind of, um, 
moved on from that and saying, okay, it's not no longer about recovering my health. Kind of the second part of my investigation into this whole thing was, you know, is vitamin A a vitamin all? Do we really need it? And mm-hmm. so my premise is no. And um, so that's why I'm continuing with this zero vitamin A diet. I try to get as close to zero as I possibly can to prove that scientific point. And um, so my particular diet is uh, just a very short list of foods that have a you know minimal amount of vitamin A, hopefully you know close to zero. Uh, what I do is I eat white and brown rice, black beans, and beef slash bison, and those are kind of the three foods that I have uh, three meals a day, seven days a week, three sixty five, and that's what I'm planning to stick with. Uh, but I think it's important for people to realize that you know people shouldn't try to mimic my specific diet. Those are just the foods that I've chosen and foods that I think are safe and those are the ones that I'm sticking to. There are more options and it's like I'm not bothered personally by this real um, plain and boring you know, menu. It's fine by me, it's quick and convenient, but that doesn't mean that somebody else should be doing that exact same diet. Yeah, that's so, I mean, so you've been doing that now for six years, right? Right, yeah. So, I mean, I've done kind of crazy diets where I ate the same thing for long periods of time and after you know, a year and a half, it's like, I almost want to throw up looking at that food. I mean, you don't get that at all. I don't, uh, I still find it quite satisfying. Um, you know, I'm highly motivated. One is I never, ever want to have, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. Yeah. You know, chronic kidney disease is far more severe than chronic eczema, but eczema was the one that really kind of pushed me on this whole path. And so I never want that to come back. So that's part of my motivation. The other part of my motivation, I'm just really, really determined to prove this scientific point. And so, um, yeah, it's boring, but I I don't mind it. I find it super convenient and uh, I don't deviate. I have no plans to deviate. I'm going to stick with it. Wow. So is there a big difference you've noticed between, uh, because we had you on last time, you had just done your five-year mark and now it's six years. Do you notice the difference between that five-year and six-year mark? Well, not really. It's kind of funny because, um, you know, what I wrote is I kind of felt I had a small kind of incremental improvement in my health over the last year, which is true. Um, but I'm feeling really good this year. So this is my best year so far. So kind of hard to quantify that um, kind of in that one year time frame. But if I compare it to uh, where I was six years ago to where I am today, mm. you know, that's a vast improvement in my health. So overall, I'm feeling really good right now. Um, no big Shazam kind of you know change in the last year. It's just the small incremental changes that are adding up. Yeah, when you say you feel really good, what are you referring to? Just my overall sense of well-being, uh, my energy level, um, you know, the quality of sleep I get, um, my kind of cognitive functioning, my awareness. Um, just, you know, a while back, someone made a comment on my on my forum about feeling, you know, more human. It's kind of a strange, you know, hmm. phrase, but it really resonated with me. I thought, you know, this guy's right, whoever he was. So it was like, you know, I'm feeling, you know, much like I would have felt in my younger years. And it's just kind of like, this is the way people are supposed to feel, you know, it's, you know, so kind of have this, you know, just kind of just, you know, really kind of being in the groove, if you want to, you know, use that kind of, you know, language. Um, yeah, that's, that's actually, that's really interesting, because 
a lot of the, you know, kind of chronic diseases today, um, they have this element of, of being kind of robotic in your head. Like, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but you, you kind of disassociate from your body in some ways. Um, I'm thinking of like the autis- autistic spectrum okay. kind of disorders. And, you know, when you mentioned kind of being more human, myself doing the low vitamin A thing, I think I've noticed that a little bit too. You know, you, you kind of merge with, oh gosh, this is going to sound so like weird and, and out there, but it's like you kind of merge with reality more. Like you're more grounded and you're less of like a robot in your brain with like controls uh, trying to move, you know, the human body around and, and make it natural or something like that. Does that make yeah. sense? It, it does. You know, it's just, you know, it's kind of effortless living. You don't have to put so much effort into, you know, the little things. It just comes natural. So it's just kind of a more natural state of feeling, I guess. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. Um, you know, this year, you know, when I say I feel feel really good and um, mm-hmm. hopefully that stays. We'll see how it goes through through the winter. Winter is usually a little bit more, um, you know, problematic, but uh, so far, so good. So how about any uh, drawbacks in the last year? Have you noticed anything get worse? No, um, nothing at all has gotten worse. Um, no, nothing okay. at all. Does does anything stick out like in particular to you from this last year report? Anything uh, that, that is really kind of like stuck in your mind? Like really, that's the, the best thing that's improved. Um, kind of. Two things that have kind of stuck out uh, for me. One is my um, ability to climatize to, you know, the ambient temperature. It's like quite noticeable. Um, you know, I can go outside with a T-shirt on when it's cold weather and I'm warm or in the summer, you know, when it's really hot out. I'm, I'm, so my my body temperature is somehow, you know, really kind of acclimatizing quickly to the outside temperature. So I've noticed that. Um, you know, I've gone skiing with people, you know, they say, oh, the weather's really cold. I'm like, I don't find it cold at all. Um, so that's mm. kind of interesting. Uh, the other thing is my strength is, uh, you know, without kind of, you know, any additional exercise on my part, uh, I'm getting stronger. There's just no question. I'm physically stronger this year. Um, not, not a lot, but, you know, it's definitely, you know, somehow I'm becoming stronger, you know, uh, so I think that's a good sign. Yeah, you mentioned you could you were benching, um, you know, you could bench more or something like that. Yeah, so um, you know, I, I don't work out that often, but um, you know, I put two forty five plates on the bar and kind of you know do your warm up with that. And I thought, holy crap, that feels you know for me, I felt really light. And um, you know, I would never go to two twenty five without a spotter, but I said, "Oh, I'll try that, and I could do that." And I, you know, that was really surprising to me. Um, so that's the weight I was able to do, kind of in my university years. So I'm back, you know, at that kind of strength, which I think is pretty interesting. That is, I mean, the ability to gain muscle, like you know, because uh, how old are you? You're you're in your sixties, right? I'm I'm sixty this year. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty amazing. You don't normally hear many stories about that. Mm-hmm. So my cycling has been down with COVID. I you know I used to cycle commute to work. Now I'm working from home, so I don't do that. So, but of course that's leg exercises and cardio wouldn't wouldn't account for the kind of upper body strength that I'm seeing the improvements in. 
Yeah. So I want to ask about uh, the amount of calories you're eating, because I think there's a lot of skepticism about your story and about metabolism in general. Okay. You know, just mm-hmm. just whether, you know, uh, without the vitamin A, your metabolism is tanking or something like that. So you said, I think at one point that, you know, in the beginning you were eating, you know, 3000 calories per day, but now you're down to around 1500 calories. Do yeah. You, do you know why there has been that drastic reduction? Uh, I don't know why, uh, but it's, it's, it's really quite clear. So when I first started this and I was kind of measuring, you know, how much I was consuming each day and it's, it's literally cut in half. Um, so I don't feel like it's, um, you know, my metabolism slowing down. I feel, like I said, I feel really great and I'm kind of active and, you know, um, I just need less food. Interesting. Yeah, I think the metabolism thing is coming from uh, mostly the people in the Ray P community who kind of have this understanding of health, which really promotes uh, higher metabolism, higher cholesterol, uh, in particular for hormone yeah. synthesis. So, I mean, do you get cold hands and feet? Um, I mean, obviously, you don't have a hard time staying warm from what you just said. Um, you know, I mean, do you have any of those hypothyroid symptoms? No, I don't. I don't have any issues with, you know, cold hands and feet. But there's a couple, you know, it's not just, uh, you know, my um, observation with myself. There's other people reporting something similar. There's another fellow who's a few years younger than me, and he's he's observed the same thing. I think he's about year three into this. And he said his, you know, his food intake is pretty much cut in half from three years ago. So it's not just me. And then um, hmm. one of the other things that's happened uh it was even last year, my heart rate, my resting heart rate in the morning was about 50 beats per minute, which I, I don't know where I started, but that's pretty low. Uh, somebody has sent me a you know, personal update saying, you know, a year or two ago, they were you know, well into the 150s for their heart rate. Now their resting heart rate is down kind of into the same range, about 50. So, you know, I don't know the mechanism or the why, but it's definitely reducing um, kind of the need for you know, a high level of metabolism, I think. Yeah. Have you ever had your thyroid markers like a TSH or T3 tested? I haven't. Now, somebody's asked me to do that um, by email. I, I did agree to do that. So I went and I got those. Um, I have to do it through one of these online testing uh, companies. Hmm. And the first sample I sent, uh, they were they were rejected by the lab, and so I'm going to redo that. I'm going to redo it here in the next few weeks. So I will get those numbers, and I'll share them on my forum. I haven't really been uh, personally interested in, you know, the thyroid um, or the hormone levels yeah. because I didn't think I was going to be able to do anything about it, and I have no idea what the normal range is. And, you know, there's absolutely no way I'm going to, you know, go off of my vitamin A diet. So kind of regardless of what the numbers are, I'm not changing what I'm doing. But I, I have agreed to it, and I, so I will do it. I'm, I'm kind of a little bit curious now. But um, so, yeah, within hopefully within 10 or 15 days, I'll have those numbers to share. Okay. Yeah, I think I think that's the last big concern that a lot of people have. You know, I think you've really shown that, you know, vitamin A, if it is a vitamin, it's not it's not really super needed, you know, at, at high doses or anything like that. But I think the metabolism bit is what some people are really wondering about. Yeah. Uh, well, if people are interested in, you know, the thyroid function and, and the hormones, some of the early research into vitamin A toxicity, not, not deficiency, the toxicity experiments, you know, they showed that the endocrine system was, you know, one of the ones that was kind of most quickly and severely affected by vitamin A toxicity. 
So you want to, I think, you know, messing with your hormones, vitamin A is going to do it. So gotcha. we'll see. Yeah. So another thing you uh, mentioned on your blog post was that, uh, or maybe it was something else. I don't know. You mentioned that your hair went from gray to black back to gray and kind of back and forth multiple times. Yeah. So uh, that sounds kind of nuts to me, but do you know what's going on there? Well, uh, I have a theory, I suppose. Um, but yeah, that's accurate. So in 2013, I was, you know, let's say hundred percent gray almost. Um, and then once I started my diet within about four months, kind of, you know, went to about probably, you know, 15% gray or 10% gray. And, uh, and then I had that huge setback and my hair went, you know, back to 95% gray or maybe hundred percent gray. And then very slowly I've gone back to my natural color and it's really cycled. And, uh, not that I really care about that too much, but you know, uh, you know, it's a sign of health, I suppose. And I think everyone's kind of assumed it's a sign of aging, but I think it's a sign of health. Hmm. Um, so now I'm, you know, back to, to say you know i'm five percent gray or ten percent gray but you know i don't know if i'll ever get back to my full you know natural color uh once again back in the early uh vitamin a toxicity studies they you know were very careful about looking at you know all the areas of you know health that were affected and one of the ones that they observed was that the hair follicle becomes quite inflamed with vitamin a toxicity and the melanocytes that are in the bulb of the hair follicle, the, you know, the cells that are actually, the stem cells that are actually producing the pigment, those are, are definitely affected by vitamin A toxicity. So I think it's, I think it's just a good measure of, of toxicity, you know, I think for me, I'm specifically focused on vitamin A toxicity. So I think we've all assumed that, you know, gray hair is a sign of aging, but I think it's actually a sign of toxicity. Uh, we'll see where I am a year from now if... Uh, I make a hundred percent recovery. I'd, I'd be very surprised if I do because like, you know, I'm 60 years old, so I can't expect too much, but, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely cycling. Yeah. That, that's really interesting. Cause I've definitely noticed in myself more gray hairs, uh, in the mm. past couple of years. So that would be awesome if they all of a sudden turned black again <laughs> or, or brown in my case. Okay. So the next question I had for you was, uh, was about calcium. Um, I know that was probably a concern at some point by a lot of people was that the diet didn't have much calcium in it, uh, and that could maybe you know affect your bones or it could raise your PTH levels, which would kind of indicate your body is pulling calcium out of your bones. Uh, you know, so how is your bone health? Have you ever had the PTH levels tested? Uh, I have not had the pH, T, PTH levels tested. I haven't really been concerned about it. Um, one of the things we know about vitamin A toxicity it does suck the calcium from your bones. It's clearly, you know, in all of the early deficiency or toxicity studies, they were showing it to having, you know, a devastating effect on, on bones and spontaneous bone fractures uh, and the calcification of, you know, all your tissues. So, um, you know, kind of whether or not you have vitamin A in, or pardon me, calcium in your diet or not is, not going to work properly if you have a toxicity condition. So I haven't really been concerned about it. Hmm. The water here, it's quite high in calcium. And, you know, I just kind of drink the natural tap water. You know, I get some calcium from the beans. It's not very much, admittedly. Uh, I'm not personally concerned about it. I feel like my bone health and my, um, my teeth are really strong. Uh, so, 
I'm not concerned. I'm not supplementing. I'm not. I'm just going to assume my body knows best what to do with, with the resources it has. All right. Cool. So, I mean, that's that's pretty much all I had to ask you about your experience. Is there, and I wanted to move on to just some questions in general on vitamin A. Is there anything else from you know this last update that I didn't cover that you kind of want to touch on? No. Um, no, I've been, you know, this over this last year, I've been somewhat quiet on this topic. One, just kind of really busy with family life and work life and uh, waiting to get more kind of evidence, I guess if I want to call it that, uh, and more success stories and more kind of experiences from what other people are seeing with this diet. Hmm. Uh, so that's kind of what I've been doing. Okay. Uh, one, other, one last thing. Did, have you ever had your testosterone checked? I haven't, but I will uh, with the with the thyroid test. So that that will be in that you know ten or fifteen day update, and I'll have that. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. So last time you were on, we talked about uh, the whole detox process and how you know some people seem to be doing very well on this low vitamin A diet, and their health you know just kind of gets better and better in this yeah. in this linear way. But some people go through this honeymoon period followed by a worsening of health. And, yeah. and at the time, we kind of put this phenomenon at the feet of detoxification of vitamin A. You know, maybe some people are better at detoxifying it. Maybe some people are worse. So has there been any kind of deeper understanding, you know, discovered in the last year of that process? Well, I don't know if we've gotten a deeper understanding. I think we've come to some assumptions about what's going on. And the assumptions are that, one, it is a detoxification. Because what uh, quite a few people reported is that their vitamin A serum levels go up when they, you know, they have an initial starting point to go on this diet and their vitamin A levels go up. So obviously, I shouldn't say obviously, but I think what's happening is the body's starting to detoxify itself. You know, the liver and the other tissues are reversing the direction of from you know storing vitamin A to expelling it. Hmm. That ends up in serum; it's toxic, and you, know, you have those those detox setbacks. I think some people are also quite clearly running into a vitamin B deficiency, um, but I think the toxicity one is probably the bigger one. Would love to understand why some people kind of sail right through and, and don't experience that, and why other people do experience that. Haven't narrowed that down. Um, okay. Yeah. So that's where we're at. All right. What about because uh, Garrett Smith or Doctor Garrett Smith, I should say he he's done a lot of work on kind of going with this whole bile, um, you know, theory about right. how you have to you know use beans to bind to your bile because in your bile that's where the vitamin a is and so by using beans you know you can excrete that bile out of your system what do you what do you think of that i don't have a you know strong opinion or view on that um you know i really like what garrett's doing and garrett and i are you know quite independent like there's no kind of there's no there's not you know, there's no business relationship or anything else. Mm -hmm. So I, I do want to support him though, because I think he's really kind of elevated the exposure of this topic and he's looking at ways of making it faster and safer. And, you know, I don't have the capability of, you know, the time to do that. So I think he's coming up with these ideas. Uh, let's call them theories. <laughs> I don't really know, you know, how, you know, how real, or how effective they are. They kind of make sense. I know he's really big on uh, promoting, you know, fiber in the diet. Makes sense to, to you know, capture some of that uh, circulating vitamin A from bile so it doesn't get uh, reabsorbed. Hmm. Um, 
time will tell. I think it's it's still early to say you know how effective that's going to be. Um, but you know it wouldn't be just fiber. It would be you know salt. I think is very important. I think dietary fats are important. So yeah, I, I don't have a good opinion on okay. you know, the effect effectiveness of that or yeah. It's it's interesting, you know, uh, like I had some thoughts about the whole detox thing because I, I've been in the health, you know, natural health world now for over 10 years and you don't see it as much anymore, but it used to be back in the day, um, you, you really got this situation where it was like people were pushing detox, detoxification of some kind or another, you know, it might be heavy metals, okay. it might be pesticides and, you know, whatever it was, you were, you're supposed to detox and everybody had their own kind of little way of detoxing. You know, you, you have to take these herbs or these supplements and you ran into this case where it's like, if you felt bad after taking the supplements, then that was, that was good because you were detoxing. Yeah. And if you felt good after you took these supplements, well, that was good too, because you had detoxed and now you were better. And, and you kind of ran into the situation where it's like, either way you, you had no, um, <clears throat> I guess you had no null hypothesis to say, you know, this isn't right. working or not. And so, so for some of the people, you know, when, when Grant, or I'm sorry, when, when Dr. Um, Smith talks about, you know, you, you're going to have to detox and it's going to be years to, to get this stuff out of you. I'm always a little skeptical, like, well, why did this go wrong in the first place? You know, why, why are people feeling bad in the first place? You know, does that, does that make sense? When you say feeling bad when they start this diet or when they go on to this diet or just no, usually there's a honeymoon and people usually feel amazing. I mean, if, if, right. if people feel yeah. great, I mean, I had that for like six, okay. six months. I felt just like, I mean, that was, okay. that was why this podcast actually started is I, I had this burst of energy and creativity and, and I, uh, I see. And so uh, people feel good for a while, but then at some point people start feeling worse and, and yeah. so I, I was always skeptical of like, okay, well, it's been two years now and you still feel bad. And I, I'm not talking about me personally. Uh, I, I feel pretty good. But, you know, at what point do, does, does someone like Dr. Smith say, you know, this is, this is just too much or this isn't working for you or you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I don't really want to speak for Dr. Garrett Smith and, you know, what he's theorizing or doing. Uh, but I think it is a long process. And um, I think... Um, you know, I have some hunches and ideas about why some people go through this and they don't run into that kind of setback cycle, but they're just hunches. So it's not even worth kind of talking about. Um, what, what are they? I, I'd be curious if you, if you feel okay sharing them. <laughs> well, I think, um, I think it's really going to come down to, you know, your long-term dietary history. Uh, I think for myself, I think I was a bit lucky because, um, yeah, the, you know, the thing that really kind of gotten going down this crazy path and, and the very first um, part was my dentist telling me I had uh, you know, quite a lot of recession in my gums and mm -hmm. saying, so, you know, drink more milk. And I started doing that and I started getting a little bit sicker and sicker. And as I got sicker and sicker, I decided I'm going to eat just, you know, the perfect optimal diet, you know, lots of fruits and vegetables and lots of spinach and milk and, you know, the athlete's diet is what I called it. And then my, my health actually, you know, catastrophically collapsed. So I think for me, what I did is I surged my vitamin A intake to such a point where, you know, the disease was kind of starting to manifest itself. But if you, you don't have that, if you have a much slower, longer, progressive kind of buildup, your tissues are going to become more and more saturated. So it's going to take longer to, to, to reverse that process. Mm. I think um, there's other factors like how active you are. Like it's surprising you might think, well, I'm going to be, you know, really, really active. Well, there's, there's, um, 
uh, a setback to that kind of theory too. Uh, so it, I, th- I think there's just a lot of variables as to what could affect somebody. Uh, but I think the bottom line, it is going to take a long time, you know, for, for adults, I think kids are going to recover faster and we've gotten some good reports from people with kids that do recover pretty fast, uh, or make improvements pretty fast. But, um, for adults, especially, you know, kind of around my age, you know, this is a multi-year process. Yeah. So you mentioned some people that you've heard from, have you had anybody email you with stories that really stick out in your mind? Uh, I do. So I, I'm getting more and more kind of frequent um, um, progress reports, I guess, from people I've never heard from before, people that are not on my forum. Um, and some of them are pretty compelling. Um, even a few years back, I had a you know report from somebody had um, psoriasis, I think he said for kind of in the 30-year range. And oh, so wow. he com- completely reversed that and lost 70 pounds. So, you know, he's really happy. Um, then re- recently, another fellow sent me an update. Uh, he had psoriasis for 16 years, and he's reversed that. And just other progress reports. People are, you know, moving along and, and you know, feeling like they're making good progress. Um, but still, it's not, it's not a lot of progress reports. I'm going to say one a week, maybe one every two weeks, kind of probably more realistic. Um, and there are, on the flip side, there are people that are dropping out and, you know, giving up because it's taking too long or they hit this detox setback and, you know, that's, um, uh, they, they can't deal with that or they, it, it, they lose confidence in it. And, um, and there are some people who come to the conclusion, no, this is completely wrong and, you know, vitamin A is essential and I'm going to harm myself by doing this crazy diet. Uh, so hmm. it's, it's not, it's not all success stories for for sure. Yeah. Have you had anyone who has reincorporated vitamin A back into their diet, then said, whoa, this is actually doesn't feel good to me at all and go back on the diet? Yes. There's been some cases of people of what I would call re-challenging themselves with vitamin A. So they, they go on a low, low vitamin A diet or no vitamin A diet. And just to test this theory, they either dose up with vitamin A supplements or eat a lot of high vitamin A foods or liver and, uh, you know, they cause a big setback. And so it kind of reinforces the theory that this is correct. But I don't really have a good story of somebody going off, rechallenging themselves and going back on. I'd, I'd have to kind of dig through email to find a case. Gotcha. So I, do you think that this is something that everybody should do? Or do you think that just people who have some kind of condition, like an autoimmune condition, should do it? Well, I mean, obviously you can't give, you know, advice to people, but you know, you kind of see what I'm coming, where I'm coming from, right? Yeah. Well, that's a good question. Um, so my position is that vitamin A is not a vitamin at all. Like in in no way, shape or form is it's a vitamin, it's a toxin. Um, so be prudent to reduce as much of that as you can. Uh, but on the other side, the body is really, really well adapted to deal with it. You know, that's why we have a big liver and it can take a, just a ginormous load of it and before you run into health problems. So I think what would be prudent if people, you know, observe the potential risk of vitamin A over the long haul and just kind of be watchful of that. Uh, but if you have a disease condition, an autoimmune disease condition, then I think uh, I'm really convinced that that's really a sign of vitamin A toxicity and be prudent to go on a very low vitamin A diet. Um, 
it, maybe using my kids is, is a good example. I've got a teenager who's 18 and, you know, he's, he's just eating whatever he wants. He, he, he eats pizza and drinks milk and, uh, um, you know, he's, and I'm not really that concerned because he's got another, you know, 30 years ahead of him. Um, and my other younger son, he's 15 and he's actually on a very low vitamin A diet, like what I'm doing. And, you know, he's fine with that and I'm fine with that. Um, so, for young people, I don't think it's that much of a concern one way or the other. Uh, but, you know, as time goes on, you just get more and more storage buildup of it. And then your liver's capacity to kind of scrub that out of serum becomes less effective and you're going to end up into these disease conditions. So I think, um, you know, I have absolutely zero doubt, no doubt whatsoever uh, about this theory. I used to, you know, I have to call it a theory until somebody else, you know, can, you know, confirm it i suppose but you know i have no doubt about this and um yeah. you know it's like i was trying to make a point about going back and reading the you know the original research on vitamin toxicity and i could give you some links to some papers i think if you know there's the one that was done uh, at the university of wisconsin i believe it was on on pigs and it was done are you still there yeah i'm still here i'm oh, sorry i heard this skype drop um there's a study done in Wisconsin on young pigs, and it was done in the agricultural department of a university. And they were feeding young pigs a, you know, a, a toxic dose of vitamin A. I think the objective of the study was to kind of find the optimal dose for growth of, of these young pigs. And it was just you know, phenomenal devastation to these animals. Um, and the other one done in Norway, um, it was a really comprehensive set of studies done on rats and um, guinea pigs and chickens and dogs, I think. And, you know, just reading about the devastation that this so-called vitamin does to these animals. And uh, the third one was the 1937 study done on, um, um, on rats. And once again, it's a vitamin A toxicity study and just decimates the animal. Of course, all of these studies, they, you know, they poison the animals to death. And, uh, you know, so kind of, Reading that and knowing what I know now, and it's like, you know, the whole mistake here was ever calling this a vitamin in the first place. Um, so, um, I, like I said, I have no doubt about yeah about it. But. I, you know, the, the region my doubts are in, like, I, I have no doubt that for me, vitamin A is definitely not something good for me. I mean, I, I take it and I get brain fog and I get depressed and I can't sleep. I get restless. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I know for, without a doubt that for me, it's, it's not good. My doubts lay in how it interacts with other things, you know, like maybe if you, live in a moldy environment, then you're more likely to accumulate vitamin A because mold just totally messes up your detox pathways. And so, you, you know, yeah. that's where my doubt is. And, and it's like, well, maybe there is, maybe, maybe there's just a, an area where it's like, well, yeah, vitamin A is a toxin, but it's just so light of a toxin that, you know, it's like you're, you're getting more toxins breathing in the air or something like that, you know? Well, but, that's yeah. where my doubt is. is it's interaction with other things in our environment. And that's where I think the big question mark is. Yeah, I think um, no question that it's not going away, no matter how much how much I don't like it or whatever. <laughs> it doesn't matter because it's, it's, it's ubiquitous. Yeah, so, it's in, in a know, lot of things. Humans are going to. Yeah, well, so just no doubt you're always going to be dealing with this, but we need to deal with it on a, on a reasonable basis. Uh, I guess 
what I want to do, my, you know, my mission is to prove that it's not a vitamin. So we don't supplement food with it deliberately. We don't put it in baby formula deliberately. We don't yeah. put it in people's rice. We don't put it in their sugar. We don't, you know, like what the hell is going on? It's like, um, uh, so this whole notion that it's a vitamin is so dangerous because people believe, oh, then we can add it to all these things. And uh, no, we can't because we need to deal with it in a, in a reasonable way. What we're doing is no longer reasonable. That's kind of where I position it. Yeah. So one thing I saw was that you are going to put up another survey in October uh, and see, right. see how people are doing on this diet. So what are the questions that you still have about it that you're going to ask people? Well, I don't really know if I have any questions about the diet so much, but I wanted to get a better sense of, you know, what, what are the success rates? Um, I've kind of got a, you know, kind of figure in my head. Um, I want to try to get a better gauge on how many people are actually doing this experiment. Um, and just a sense of maybe we can see some more patterns, maybe kind of spot why people are having this setback, um, detox cycle, as we call it. Uh, just basically, you know, a checkpoint on how how is how is it going, and and uh, kind of go from there. Um, All right. So let's let's talk about measles. Okay. <laughs> uh, so one of the interesting diseases that you know has been talked about a lot around vitamin A is measles. Um, right. I think the CDC and I think the WHO. I think they both recommend large doses of vitamin A to avoid measles complications and right and i know it's been suggested that measles was perhaps uh, some way for the body to lower the levels of vitamin a like you know it's almost like a vitamin a sink so what do you what do you think about these things what do you think of measles oh okay um so measles uh what happens with measles what's been observed and reported in the literature you have a large measles infection and the vitamin a serum levels plummet they drop really quickly uh, but it's not at all just measles. So the same uh, phenomenon is observed with dengue. Uh, it's also observed with uh, quite a few of the chronic diseases, such as you know, Alzheimer's, um, Crohn's disease, um, cystic fibrosis, and others. They, you know, kind of a general autism too is, you know, there's no one lower level of vitamin A in the serum. But the grand assumption is that the body has used the vitamin A to fight off, let's take measles, fight off the infection. Well, that's, that's entirely not true at all. Uh, what happens with an infection such as the measles, uh, there's a large amount of widespread cellular damage that's going on. And so uh, you, when uh, vitamin A serum test is done, the standard test is to take um, the uh, retinal binding proteins and you dissolve them with a solvent and from there you flush out how much or flush out um, the vitamin A that you're going to test in serum. So with measles, if somebody doesn't have enough protein or you know other factors needed to build an adequate supply of the retinal binding proteins, they're going to have more vitamin A in serum, which of course you don't want. But that's going to be scrubbed off into the liver for, for most people. But now with a with a viral infection causing a whole lot of cellular damage, you're going to have a bunch of that you know directly entering uh, entering in the cell and you know being converted into retinoic acid. So I think the damage to the cell is what's actually quote, consuming the vitamin A. And actually that is 
probably why people have such a you know dire outcome in measles when they don't have enough capacity to produce the retinal binding proteins. They're going to get very sick because all of a sudden they have a huge surge uh, of retinoic acid being produced. So, um, you know, the whole topic of viral infections is something I've looked at quite a bit. And, you know, it's quite a, you know, an interesting field. I think it's a lot like the whole vitamin A theory itself. There's just so many um, flaws in that science. Um, I could talk for days about it. <laughs> I won't. Uh, yeah, we we just had an episode last week about uh, this guy, uh, Aginus Vonderplanets or something like that, who had this whole theory okay. of viruses that basically they were good for us or something like that. Um, so there's definitely holes in the virus theory, especially considering viruses are not really alive. You know, they're they're just little bits of code in some senses. So what yeah. what are you looking at in particular that you see are holes? Well, similarly, very similarly. You know, I, I'm not aware of... Uh, of of that theory. But um, the first thing that people need to realize is that viruses are not alive and they will never become alive. And they, uh, viruses do not meet the, the, the criteria of the definition of a life form. So viruses can't reproduce themselves. They don't reproduce themselves. They have no organelles. They have no digestive machinery. They don't consume any energy. Uh, Viruses are proteins, you know, typically wrapped up in a capsid. And um, so they're not alive and they never, never will become alive. And hopefully that makes it a little less scary. Um, and this whole notion that they're pathogens out to get us is, is completely flawed because, you know, there's no will, there's no life force, there's no intent. You know, these are just, these are just protein particles. Uh, now, you say just, but, you know, hold on. <laughs> these are definitely protein particles that can, uh, that can harm us. Um, and they do harm us. So what are they? Uh, viruses are really proteins that get caught up in a chain reaction. And, uh, uh, but the really, really crucial point that I think everybody needs to really appreciate, and I think any legitimate virologist would agree with all these statements, viruses are produced, you know, let's talk about human viruses. So human viruses are produced by human cells. And it's not that the virus does not hijack the cell. It doesn't take over the machinery of the cell. The cell is actually doing it because that's the normal behavior of the cell is to produce a protein. What's happened is the viral DNA, or more typically the RNA, has got caught up in the cell and the ribosomes in the cell are just sitting there perpetually turning out these proteins that we call viruses, but they're just proteins that the cell is producing. We call them kind of errant proteins or defective proteins, but there are proteins that will get caught up in a chain reaction, kind of similar to the PCR test, if you're familiar with that. Yeah. Um, so, and there's a really great book, uh, from the 1990s, uh, by a guy named, um, Edward, Ed Edgar Hope Simpson, and the title was the transmission of epidemic influenza. And he's just a really mainstream, uh, epidemiologist looking at, you know, uh, outbreaks of flu. And I think it was typically in the UK, but around the world. And what was noted in, in the 1970s is that, influenza would just spontaneously, you know, erupt or have outbreaks of influenza in various towns when there was no possibility of human-to-human transmission. And so this whole theory that, you know, viruses are be being transmitted or necessarily being transmitted from human-to-human to, human to have it spread uh, was not necessarily true. And so he kind of raised the red flag saying, 
hold on, there's something wrong with this theory. Um, so we kind of put this proposal up that you know, somehow these are being endogenously produced. And I think that's correct. I think what happens is there's a certain amount of stress uh, placed on the body, maybe the winter months, and um, you know, these proteins start to replicate. And we, we've called them viruses, but they're not, they're not pathogens. They, like I said, they, they're not out to get us. Um, so that's kind of you know, where I'm going with this, you know, this whole thing around you know, what our virus is really, it's, there's a whole lot of bad science going on there. So how does, how does vitamin A fit into that? Because I've talked to lots of, you know, naturopathic doctors and even real doctors, I guess if you call them that, who say vitamin A is a fantastic antiviral. Yeah, well, that's, I think, a bunch of garbage. Um, So uh, I wrote a blog post about COVID a few months back, and there's a really great piece of research there. It was actually Russian researchers. And what they wanted to do was um, they're trying to um, uh, stimulate the growth of coronaviruses in a, in a cell culture. And what they used was uh, retinoic acid. So they take a cell culture, uh, you know, seed it with a coronavirus, look for the replication rate. And when they did that same experiment and they added retinoic acid to it, they got 10x. So the virus uh, was replicating 10x. Once again, it's not the virus kind of replicating itself. It's the cell sitting there churning out the virus. Mm. And that's a really key point if someone wants to kind of debate this thing, this point about, um, you know, are viruses replicating themselves or is it the cell manufacturing them? It's really the cell manufacturing them. evidence I would give for that is when they produce viruses to manufacture vaccines, they always do it on a living cell. So you take a quote, a virus, let's say a coronavirus, and put it in a, in a, in a dish with, you know, anything that you kind of regard as a nutrient for a virus, and it's not going to replicate. It's just not, it's the cell's machinery that's building the virus. Sounds like semantics, but it's an incredibly important point. Um, But anyway, on that particular research, they found a a 10x uh, increase in the replication rate of the virus when retinoic acid was present. We all know that retinoic acid is endogenously produced from, you know, from vitamin A that we have in our diet. So, Vitamin A is is definitely not good for viral infections. It's going to make it much worse. That's so interesting because, you know, the experience, I mean, I, I talk to people and, and their experience of taking, you know, a few hundred thousand IUs of vitamin A when they're sick with something is that they, they get over it. So what is, what's, do you know what's going yeah. on there? Well, uh, I think one of the things that you read about in the toxicity studies is, um, the first early response to uh, you know a dose of vitamin A is it ramps up cellular activity, so you get a much faster rate of cell replication, and um, you know the body's responding to this to, to vitamin A. Let's call it a toxin, uh, but that's short term. So in the short term, you might feel better, but in the long term, there's going to be long term damage. So it's kind of you know short term gain for long term pain. Um, but I think um, you know, it's really worthwhile for people to read the early toxicity studies on vitamin A to just get an appreciation for kind of the sequence of events that goes on in, in tissue when it's exposed to vitamin A. There's just no way at all that this could be you know, good for protecting yourself from viruses. I think it's the worst thing you could do. Wow, that's, that's really interesting. Um, so you, you had a, uh, a blog post about diabetes. 
So can we talk a little right. bit about that? Because that's a huge concern for people, you know, metabolic syndrome, gaining weight, blood sugar problems, all that. So what, what's going yeah. on with vitamin A and diabetes? Well, once again, I think, um, you know, if you look at the early studies uh, on toxicity, you know, they observed, you know, the pancreas is affected, it's inflamed, um, you know, the endocrine system itself, but basically, you know, all the glandular uh, tissues and ducts and uh, the glands themselves are definitely uh, affected by vitamin A toxicity and especially the stem cells. So for whatever reason, those, those organs and tissues are very vulnerable to vitamin A toxicity. So, uh, you know, no surprise to me, once you go back and you read those early studies on vitamin A toxicity, that people today have a pancreas that's not functioning properly. Um, you know, like, of course, yeah, like, you know, we, we're overdosing with a, with a vitamin that is known and proven to cause damage to these tissues. So I think that's the origin of it. Kind of one of the things that sparked um, that blog post on diabetes was I was reading some press about how, you know, bad rice was for, um, you know, insulin resistance and mm. spiking, uh, spiking blood sugars. You know, I've seen exactly the opposite result and been eating rice three meals a day for six years and my blood sugar is perfectly fine and I don't have diabetes. Um, so I just kind of wanted to get that discussion going and, um, and that was another part of this, hopefully, you know, the call on my survey is to kind of find out what's going on with A1C levels and things like that. And I'm kind of following, you know, anecdotally the, the carnivore diet movement because they've got a huge number of people uh, taking on that diet. And I think it's almost the perfect kind of natural experiment because there's a certain segment of that community that believes that eating organ meat and liver is, you know, good and um and, you know, another segment that just, no, they're not going to do that. They're going to eat just muscle meat. So I think what we have going on um, is a really great experiment, if you want to call it that, on, you know, an elimination diet, bringing it down to kind of one food and, you know, the one group uh, eating, you know, muscle meat with high vitamin A dose, the other group eating muscle meat with a virtually, you know, zero vitamin A dose. And let's just compare the results of those two groups. Um, getting more and more reports from people who have taken on the carnivore diet and eating liver and it's been a disaster for them and they've, they've bailed out of it. So I'm getting these small kind of anecdotal um, bits of evidence to support that, but hopefully in a year or so we'll have much more data. Mm. And uh, I think that'd be really good to have that. Yeah. So one thing you uh, have in this article about diabetes is you kind of look at the map of Canada and, and your associates. Right. So can you talk a little bit about that? Well, it's interesting for me because, you know, all these chronic diseases in Canada, which, you know, we have a pretty homogeneous kind of society, if you want to call it that, but we have these big regional differences and disparities in, in disease rates. And um, I didn't put it into that blog post, but there's a research paper done in, I'm going to say, the 1970s in Canada, uh, looking at um, serum or uh, liver concentrations of vitamin A. And uh, it actually follows that map. So that map where you see, you know, Quebec and eastern provinces having higher rates of diabetes. So the same thing is actually showing up in liver uh, biopsies. So uh, it's just the the point I want to kind of make is when we see a geographic clustering of a disease like diabetes, everyone's assumed that this is, you know, bad luck autoimmune disease. No, it's not bad luck. It's impossible for it to be bad luck because bad luck does not cluster in in 
you know, regional territories of a country that makes no sense whatsoever. And the other one was the exponential growth. Well, maybe it's not quite exponential in that one chart, but, it, you know, you get this pretty dramatic growth in uh, growth rate of the disease over just a few decades. So those two things combined, you know, tell me that this is not uh, a natural phenomenon in the human population. Something is causing it to happen. So that's kind of why I was putting those charts there, just to kind of reiterate that point. You know, if we see that pattern, then we know that this disease is a poisoning. And since, um, you know, if we, if we can come to that conclusion that it's a poisoning, then we can kind of say, okay, what potential toxins are in our food that could cause this? And, you know, you combine that with the early vitamin A studies from especially the 1940s, um, you know, is pretty clear to me what's going on. Yeah, it's really interesting because in that post, you know, you have the concentrations of vitamin A in people's livers as they age. And then you also look at the age of like type one diabetes diagnosis and those match up really well. Um, so, I mean, that's, it's, it's really interesting and it's compelling, um, in an associative way, you know? Yeah, it is. Um, and that particular chart with the liver biopsies, that's from us data, but I do have a similar study from Canada and it's the same. It shows that, you know, infants, very small infants have virtually no vitamin A, no detectable vitamin A in the liver. And then what's surprising for like the one and two and three year olds, they have really quite a high concentration, like higher than adults Hmm. typically. And then there's, you get into the teenage years, it tapers off or goes much lower. And then with age, it starts to crawl back up. And that's exactly the same pattern we see with the chronic diseases in our society. So yeah, it's an association, but I'm pretty convinced. Yeah. So one thing I forgot to ask you uh, when we were talking about viruses was COVID. You know, what uh, what would your plan be for somebody who gets COVID? You know, if, if vitamin A is out, um, what do you what do you think about that disease and what would you do about it? Well, <clears throat> yeah, I think there's an epidemic going on. And the epidemic is uh, one of, you know, corruption and just inflaming, you know, fear. Uh, it's really you know, I'm really, really bothered by what I see going on. Um, I'm most bothered because, you know, there's huge amounts of data saying that 90% of the population is not at risk. So, you know, if you're less than, you know, 50 or 60 years old and in generally good health, you're at no risk. And especially for kids, um, you know, that are healthy, they're at no risk. So, you know, why have we kind of shut down our economies? That makes no sense to me. So I'm quite annoyed by that. Uh, but specifically with COVID, um, I think if somebody has a background of high vitamin A uh, levels and a vitamin A induced disease, a chronic disease, which I'm, you know, would categorize as the uh, autoimmune diseases, you know, asthma, diabetes, um, um, you know, heart disease, you know, it, you, you can't just go on a low vitamin A diet to protect you from COVID because it's going to be way too late. And it, it actually might make it worse, as we know. Right? Yeah, yeah, sure. All right. Well, do you uh, do you have any plans to release a new book? Are you working on anything right now? Uh, I have no, you know, immediate plans. I did write up a, a quite a long uh, series of uh, essays, I guess, on you know viruses and uh, the whole thing that's going on with COVID and how much that kind of bothers me. And the more I dig into it, the more. Um, concerned that I get, you know, that this, what's, what's really going on here is, is quite outrageous. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't want to really 
put that out there because I think it's going to detract too much from my vitamin A message. So I'm going to stick with the vitamin A. Like I said, I've been pretty quiet for the last year or so on this topic. I'm going to really ramp it up in the coming year, though, because um, kind of anticipating having more time on my hands and just, you know, I think as we get more and more evidence to become clearer as to what's going on, and then it's going to be a matter of just getting, you know, more people um, interested in this topic. Yeah, I've had some good feedback from... Um, some academics and some government researchers lately, um, you know, so people are contacting me, expressing interest, but still kind of sitting on the sidelines waiting for, you know, the right time to kind of participate, I suppose. So I'm going to try to kind of move that forward a lot. Um, it's such a big deal because, you know, these chronic diseases are not coming out of the blue. They are definitely being caused by something and I'm pretty sure I know what it is. And so you know, I got to up the game on it and uh, see if I can kind of get a bigger, bigger uh, community uh, supporting this. Yeah, I mean, the more people we could get testing it out, the more more knowledge we'll get. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So, is there anything else you wanted to touch on before we uh, call it quits? No, I think that's great for me. Uh, so, once again, thank you very much for having me and listening to me uh, ramble on about this. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. I, I really appreciate what you've done, and I appreciate the self-experimentation. You know, of six years not uh, not eating vitamin A and and being on this very strict diet. It's it's something that is definitely a sacrifice, and you know, everybody can learn so much from from what you're doing, and and so all the. Uh, blog posts and stuff those will all be in the notes if people want to read them um, but yeah thanks so much grant for coming on okay thank you talk to you later so one thing i thought was you know really interesting in this interview is when he said that at first when he was getting sick he tried the perfect diet and i think he called it the athlete's diet or something along those lines he said it was full of veggies and fruit and and basically everything that was good and this got me thinking because it's crazy how prevalent this practice is online, which is that, you know, you can take some rational principles on health and basically concoct the perfect diet that will meet all your needs and check all the boxes of, of whatever rational principles you've come up with. And I can say really definitively that in my years of experience in this natural world and, and reading about different diets, this approach almost always fails. Now, for someone who is healthy, you know, and has good digestion or whatever, this can work because, you know, the body can really deal with almost any foods or any diet at, at, when you're healthy. I mean, there's people, you know, who live on fast food for years before they start to get sick. So, I mean, for those healthy people, it's not that big of a thing. But for someone who is already having health issues, you know, this rational approach to food, it often just gets you in far more trouble than where you were before you went down that path. And what I've found is that leaning on my cravings while excluding, you know, obvious poor food choices, it just works much better. Um, you know, we just, we don't have all the information. We don't fully understand the microbiome. You know, we don't fully understand vitamin A. And I'm just telling you this from personal experience, you know, I used to eat in a whole bunch of different ways. I used to eat from the perspective of avoiding, you know, all the heavy metals. I would uh, do meticulous research finding which vegetables had more heavy metals than the others, and I would only eat the ones that were the lowest. And I, I made a perfect diet doing that. 
Well, it turns out that the diet was also low carbohydrate and that got me into a lot of health trouble. So I made the perfect repeat diet, you know, with lots of milk and liver and gelatin. And guess what? That got me into a lot of trouble as well. So it took me a long time to figure out that you really have to go with your gut feeling on foods. I mean, I, I know low vitamin A is good for me because vitamin A makes me feel terrible, makes it hard to sleep, makes me uh, depressed. I mean, so I just, I mean, maybe that's because I was given Accutane as a kid. I don't know, but I just know it because of how I feel on it. So I wanted to put that out there because I see it so often online, people coming up with the quote unquote perfect diet. It's just not, it's just not going to work for you. It's just, it's just not going to work for you. Anyway, uh, I want to put out this offer to any listeners out there. So a lot of you may know, uh, I lost my co-host Brian earlier this year, uh, and I have done a couple shows with potential new co-hosts. And a friend of mine, after listening to the episodes, he kind of had an interesting idea. See, the Quacks podcast has two different show formats. It has the interview format, which is what you just listened to. Uh, it lasts about an hour, features a prominent guest. But there is also the shorter format where I have researched something and I talk about it for, you know, 20 to 30 minutes with a co-host. So the idea was, you know, instead of looking for a new co-host, why not open the show up to have guests come on and give their own uh, prepared, you know, piece? Meaning, you know, if you have a health subject as a listener that you're interested in and you want to present it on the podcast, well, let me know and we can maybe put something together. Now, to give you some guidelines, the subject should not be a copy of a previous podcast. If it is, you know, it should be a new angle or new information that we haven't gone over before. For preparation, you should write a two to three page report with references. Uh, plan on it taking 15 to 20 minutes to get through it on the show. And it should be in story format because something I have learned doing this podcast. I'll give you a little peek behind the scenes. People really do not want a bunch of facts, even if those facts are super interesting. You know, they want a story. They want something that has interesting takeaways, surprises, controversy, uh, something along those lines. So I once, I once heard a great example of what a story format looks like, and it goes something like this. In the first act, the hero gets stuck in a tree. In the second act, he has rocks thrown at him, you know, maybe from an antagonist or the environment or whatnot. And in the last act, he gets down from the tree. So it goes premise, problem, intensification, and then solution. Uh, if you want a good example of this, check out the Tamiflu story from last episode. And I should also say, you know, if you do decide to go over two to three pages and you give me six pages or eight pages or whatever, well, it either has to be very interesting, meaning the audience is really going to love it and just cannot, you know, get enough of it, or be prepared for it to get cut down to around 30 minutes. You know, we don't want the episodes going for too long. If you are interested, I would love to hear from you. Uh, shoot me an email, quackspodcast at gmail.com. And if we hit it off, you know, you could be a reoccurring feature on this podcast. And I also should say, I don't mind if you want to promote a blog or, you know, other, some other kind of service like coaching or whatnot. Anyways, thank you so much for listening uh, to today's episode. Let me know what you thought of the episode, you know, shoot me an email or tweet me at quackspod and be well.